Dawn and Steve welcome Michael Brown to help us seize the moment. Is there anything we need to do to fuel revival? Call or text anytime this hour, 800-555-7898. You know, it was almost one year ago to the date, not quite, but almost a year ago, that the Asbury outpouring or the Asbury revival happened. It was February 8th. Students stayed spontaneously in the Hughes Auditorium following a chapel service. And that kind of took the evangelical world, the church world, by storm. People saying, have you heard what is happening in Asbury? Revival has broken out, and people were coming from all over to be a part of that, wanting to be experiencing that uh, that, that outpouring that we saw there. And many of us began to think about, wow, what is going on there? And how could that potentially grow and spread? And joining us to talk a little bit about how to fuel the fires of revival, author of the book, Seize the Moment, Dr. Michael Brown is with us. And Michael, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it is great to be with you, Stephen. Don, thanks for having me. All right. So I just kind of want us to define a couple of terms here as we get the conversation rolling here. I've heard people say what happened at Asbury was a revival. I've heard people say it's an outpouring. They've tried to define revival in certain different ways. For the purpose of our conversation, as we talk about revival here, what's the definition you want us to be working with? So revival is a season of unusual divine visitation. We know that the Holy Spirit dwells in us as believers. We know when we gather together and worship, the Lord is there. We know in a certain way God's presence fills the universe. But revival is a season of unusual divine visitation. It's defined. It's clear. That's why people flock to it. That's why we can talk about this revival or that revival in the past and even put beginning and end dates on it. When I lived in the South for seven years, I discovered that people talked about holding a revival or scheduling a revival. It was just special services the church would have once a year. And I would tell people every week, you can no more hold a revival than you can hold a hurricane. You can no more schedule a revival than you can schedule an earthquake. Revival is not something people work up. Revival is something God sends down. It's marked, it's clear, this intense presence of God that brings deep conviction of sin, tremendous repentance, renewal, transformation, and then it pours out of the church building into the society with the radical conversion of sinners in the world. When we see these things happening, we say, this is, this is a revival. Outpouring is, is often a synonym for it. And then as it affects a culture, it becomes an awakening. So revival is for the church. It is reviving. It is bringing back to life something that used to be healthy and strong, but now is weak or sickly or dead. Revival brings the church back to life, and then a church that comes back to life can have an impact on the society as a whole. So we go from revival to reformation. We go from outpouring to awakening. That's the goal. That's the prayer. That is the prayer. And Michael, as we think about revival, and and we several have been praying for that for a long time, but do we really know what we're praying for when we're asking the Lord for revival? No. No, for most of the time, no. Unless you've experienced it on some level. I was part of an outpouring that lasted three months and six days in 82, 83 that completely rocked my world, changed my life. God got hold of me. It touched the church. But it it comes with intensity. It comes with a certain overpowering presence of God. That It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to experience it. It's, it's like talking about being out in the ocean in a small boat in the midst of a storm. You can talk about it, but until you're in it, 
you don't really know what you're asking for. I was part of a revival, serving there for four years. It lasted for five years. And think of this intensity. Think of the lines forming outside the building where people are showing up at six in the morning to stand online for 12 hours, for the doors to open at seven in the evening, for the service to last five hours. And the central message is get right with God, get the sin out of your life. So that's some ear tickling or come and get a miracle type of message. Think of that going on for years. Think of people coming from 130 nations. Think of times when the presence of God is so overwhelming that children in, in, a, in a back room, just, just in, in their own little children's service, begin weeping for the lost. Think of something so intense that during the summer when it's hot and you know people may be wearing shorts when they're waiting out, outside all day, when the, when the call is given to get right with God, think of men running to the altar and literally getting carpet burn on their knees because they're so desperate to get right with God, they run to the altar and hit their knees and slide across the carpet. I mean, these are the things we would witness. And now I can tell you 25 plus years later where many of these people are on the mission field, serving God, living exemplary lives. So there's an intensity to it. There's the day and night hunger and thirst, which is so overwhelming that that many times we don't know what we're asking for. We want a nice little revival, flip the switch on, flip it off. You know, I, I wrote years ago a sarcastic prayer for revival. You know, one of the stanzas is, oh, oh, oh Lord, come and quench this longing of our soul, but please, Lord, leave us in control. And Lord, <laughs> come send your glory and your power, but please, oh Lord, keep it to an hour. So I, I wrote Seize the Moment to say that when God comes in visitation, it's a sacred thing. It may not happen for a generation or a lifetime. You want to welcome God and welcome his spirit. You want to avoid extremes on either side, the extremes of criticism, the extremes of manifestation mania. But when this holy wave comes, you want to ride it for all it's worth. And I'll say this last thing. As I had been traveling around America, and especially post-COVID, with all the shaking that took place, I found myself in church after church that was seeing the opposite of what we hear in the news, all the young people dropping out of church, decline in people professing Christianity. I was seeing church after church packed with people, not because I was there. I got to witness it. Packed with people, young people flooding the churches, hungry to be with God. They'd announce prayer and fasting, and the building would be filled night after night after night. And, and I knew something was going on. And I knew it was time to say it on my national radio show. And, you know, you get a lot of listeners from all backgrounds. So you got to be very careful in what you say. You don't just throw out empty words. And I said, it was the end of January last year. I said, I'm sure I've seen this for some time now, the beginning, the early, early stages, but the beginning of the next wave of revival has hit America. We are in the early stages Eight days later, Asbury happened. I got back on the air. I said, listen, I told you something's going on. To me, that was a divine exclamation point. Just that, saying something's happening. And now we've got to hunger, pray fast, seek God more earnestly, and then say, Lord, start the work with me right here. Start mm. the work with me. Mm. There it is right there. Judgment begins in the house of God. And as we, as his people, seek after him, are we then cooperating with seizing the moment? Dr. Michael L. Brown with us today. Seize the moment. How to fuel the fires of revival. Join the conversation. 800-555-7898. 
As we talk about revival, as we pray for it, do we know what we're praying for? Dr. Michael Brown says it is time to seize the moment as we look at how to fuel the fire of revival. And so as we think about that and we think about repentance, you were talking about that, Dr. Brown, and downplaying the importance of holiness. I kind of think the American church were pretty good at that part, like d- downplaying holiness. Is, is that something that we need to seriously look in the mirror and consider? Yeah, well, that's one deep reason that we need revival because we, we've gone, gone so far from the beautiful holiness of God. We, we've just looked at it as legalism or bondage or condemnation without understanding that it means becoming like Jesus in thought and word and deed. An early revival leader last century said that the depth of any revival will be determined by the spirit of repentance that is obtained. And when John the Immerser, John the Baptist, comes preparing the way of the Lord, he preaches repentance. So you'll see it in every revival movement. A true revival movement is, is going to set the church right. And one of the very first things that's going to come is a message of repentance. It could come by preaching on the love of God, and people are undone because they realize their selfishness and hard-heartedness and how they left their first love. It could be preaching against specific sins, sexual immorality, different things, but it will produce deep repentance because something's wrong. We, we've, we've become worldly or carnal, backslidden. And you think Jesus says to the church in Sardis in Revelation 3, you have a reputation for being alive, yet you're dead. He says to Laodicea, in, in Revelation 3, you say, I'm rich, increased in wealth, but don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And in the previous chapter, in Revelation 2, he says to Ephesus, you know, you're orthodox, you've held to sound doctrine, you've tested those who claim to be apostles, and they weren't. You persevered in your faith, you haven't denied my name, but you left your first love. So that Isaiah comes into the presence of God in the temple in Jerusalem. Maybe he's been in there a thousand times before, but that day he sees God. And he's undone. And that's what happens in revival. You're going about your service. You're singing the songs you've sung before. You're praying the prayers. But it's different. Suddenly you realize, oh, no, God is here. Just like Peter on the boat with Jesus, when he sees the miracle of the supernatural catch of fish, he falls to his knees in a boat in the lake and says to Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. There's not a syllable spoken there about repentance or anything except he realized who Jesus was, who he was standing with, and at that moment became deeply aware of his sin. So, of course, and seize the moment. I talk about the importance of preaching repentance. It's a life-giving, life-transforming message. And when you mention America, the American gospel basically says, this is who I am, this is how I feel, and God is here to please me. The biblical gospel is, this is who God is, this is how he feels, and we are here to please him. So revival comes, it shakes everything up and turns things right side up. Well, there is so much more to this conversation uh, with Dr. Michael Brown, and maybe you want to join that. You've got a question or comment. Feel free to text in this morning, 800-555-7898. That's 800-555-7898. Michael is uh, the host of uh, all sorts of different things, including the uh, radio show, the Line of Fire. He's the founder and the president of Ask Dr. Brown Ministries and president of Fire School of Ministry, author of Seize the Moment, How to Fuel the Fires of Revival. And we want to connect you with him and with this book. You're going to find the link when you start at our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the Morning. 
Michael Brown is with us, author of Seize the Moment, as we talk about revival. And, Michael, you said something a little bit earlier about one of the things that we want to be aware of is avoiding the extremes of revival. And you have a chapter in the book all about stewarding and being a faithful steward of that. What does it look like, you think, to faithfully steward that time of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, so when, when you've been praying for years and years for God to visit your church or your community or your own life, your family, and now God comes, everything's so intense. You seem to be going day and night. God's always moving, and, and so the emotions can be very intense. And then unusual things can happen. Uh, you know, people overcome by the Spirit. It's happened through different awakenings. And Jonathan Edwards, the Great Awakening, his wife, uh, Jonathan's wife, Sarah, would, would go into these trances, you know, it's like, what was that? Here's this brilliant theologian, his wife's in a trance for hours. And, and then, you know, the Cane Ridge revival, people collapsing and falling out in the early 1800s. And what's that? And, and, and there's so much going on. So a bunch of things happen. One is you can take your eyes off what's central, which is glorifying Jesus and calling God's people to repentance and reaching the lost. You forget all about that. Or you can just get into the mode of, by all means, we just have to protect our reputation. Everyone thinks we're a nice, lovely church, and we just don't want the controversy. As I've said for years, you can have controversy without revival, but you can't have revival without controversy. Just like Jesus himself, as it was prophesied over him in Luke 2, that he'd be a sign that would be spoken against. That's what happens when God moves. At Pentecost, Shavuot, when when the, the Spirit comes in Acts 2, some of the crowd hears the praises of God in their own language, and the other part of the crowd thinks they're all drunk. It's right. like, well, it's, it's easier without the outpouring. So it's it's easy to get in that mode where we just we're gonna kind of have everything nice the way we like it, and then criticize every anything that's out of the box, or the other extreme, where the whole emphasis becomes trances or falling or it's no no no. You weren't praying and fasting and crying out for revival so people would fall into trances or, or collapse under the power of God. You were praying for it so lives would be changed. So you have these ditches on either side of the road, the ditch of traditional religion, which criticizes everything new or different or outside your own little group. And then you have the other ditch of manifestation mania, of superficial sensationalism, where, where the side things become the focus. and You end up with, with like a circus. So what's the, what's the solution? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, welcome the Spirit as He comes, and then put your emphasis on calling God's people to get right with God and reaching out to the lost to get right with God. Put the emphasis on holiness and harvest, on the message of repentance to the saved and the lost. And then what that also means it is, as God is touching you, you're pouring it back out into a hurting and dying world. As you are getting filled, you're pouring it out on the hungry and the thirsty, and it produces a cycle of life as opposed to just this ingrown thing, bless me, bless me, bless me. We get so fat, we can't even get outside the doors of the church building anymore. My goodness, that'll all preach, yep. Dr. Brown. Uh, Michael Brown with us today as we talking about see as we talk about seize the moment and what how it pertains to revival. There's so much in that I want to ask about uh, the ditches, the controversy, the doubt that we tend to have. You see Asbury happen. If you're not there yourself, you think oh, I don't know. I mean, I've been hearing both things. Some people saying it's real, some people saying it's not. But then you talked about the acceptance and the respectability that we want to hold on to. And that can become an idol. 
And and you talk about that as you are kind of in a way coaching us, leading us through this work that you have written. Uh, how do we not make things an idol? That just seems to be such an easy thing for the flesh to do. Yeah, what we have to do when we come to the faith and then periodically through our own lives is, is say, am I willing to live and die for Jesus? If, if following him costs me everything, does he have my heart? Does he have my soul? Does he have my life? Uh, some years ago, I offered to help a school where I had previously taught uh, to come in and help them with apologetics and culture war issues and things like that. And they were thrilled to do it. Dr. Brown, what do you want from this? I said, I'm just trying to help. I, I don't need anything for myself. I'm just trying to help. And, and I'd love to be more associated with your school because we, we talked about that at one time. So uh, they, they loved my material. They said, this would be a great blessing to our students. And then nothing ever happened. I talked to a colleague at the school. He said, well, I had a talk with leadership. And they said, we believe in Dr. Brown's message. We think he brings the most balanced message of anyone we know on the culture wars. But if he's associated with our school, it may put a target on our back from the gay and lesbian communities and create too much controversy. And I said, if you don't have a target on your back already, you're doing something wrong. No matter yep. how loving and gracious and kind we are, if we hold to biblical standards, the world's going to hate us. And, and, and Paul said in Galatians 1, if I yet pleased men, I wouldn't be a servant of the Messiah. So on the one hand, we seek to serve everyone and get low and please people, meaning help them in the Lord, even at cost to ourselves. But when it comes to, am I going to please God or please people? What does it say about the religious leaders in Jesus' day? They wouldn't profess him because they were more concerned with the praises of people than the praises of God. And, and they feared people more than they feared God. So when God comes in revival, you have to say, Lord, we welcome you. I was talking to one pastor, and another pastor said to him, when revival came to your church, did you lose people? And he said, we did, because it was too intense, and, and, and you know this, the controversy surrounding it. Now, of course, they ended up literally, I would say, with for every person that left, 10 people ended up joining the congregation. But he said with tears, he said, they did leave, but I didn't really think about it. I was just so happy that God had finally come. Wow. And, yeah. and that's what matters. But now here's the other question. You have the people in your congregation. They're coming now night after night after night. How long can that go on? What about your own schedule? Going 70, 80 hours a week. What do you do with that? So I wrote Seize the Moment to say, even for the faithful, for those who embrace it, there are many pitfalls. And, and if we're not aware of this, the revival may be cut short just because of our own frailty and weakness. Mm -hmm. And we can recognize that. And then there are times we cannot. And that's why a work like this is so important and timely. Seize the moment. How to fuel the fires of revival. Dr. Michael Brown with us today. Yes, we have connected you to this. It's our Facebook page where you'll find it. Don and Steve in the morning. Also, you can text. We can send you the link for more information about it. 800 555 7898. Dr. Michael Brown, as you share a resource with us called Seize the Moment, How to Fuel the Fires of Revival, there's a chapter in here that reminds me of something Pastor Tim Keller had said in The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. He said people would come to see his church and want to know the formula. What's the formula? What are you doing here at your church? We want to mimic it. And he would say, 
there's no formula. You just have to follow the Lord. And you're telling us the same thing. We can't put our trust in a formula, in in a particular method. And yet most of our churches kind of have that vibe. We have a template we're following. Yeah. And look, there, there are principles that are always helpful, right? And there are things that, you know, if, if you want to get more people committed, unless you're having an outpouring, probably a service that's less than nine hours long is going to be helpful, you know, and maybe if you could cut your sermon down from four hours to 45 minutes, you, you wouldn't lose so many people. You know, there's simple things or, hey, if you got a sound system that didn't blast the windows out, you might have some more old people come. Okay, practical wisdom, I'm all for it. But in America, we know how to make it bigger and better. We know how to grow the church, even if God's nowhere near us. A.W. Tozer said over 50 years ago that in the early church, if the Holy Spirit left, 95% of the work would stop and everyone would know it. In the American church, if the Holy Spirit left, 95% of the work would continue and no one would notice the difference. So we've learned how to build it, but that doesn't make a disciple. That doesn't change a life. That doesn't transform anyone. Uh, conversely, conversely, just because God moved a certain way last time, just because it came with a certain type of preaching and a certain type of emotion or a certain type of response, it doesn't mean the next one is going to look like that. The, the prayer revival of 1857-58 did not look like the, the Cane Ridge revival of the early 1800s. And, and the Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905 did not look like the Asbury outpouring, which, of course, was a smaller uh, phenomenon. But each let God move how he moves without a preconceived idea. During the Browns revival, people would come and the songs were so powerful and, and you were encountering God during this worship and the songs were indelibly written in your heart, and your mind. You think, oh, if I could just go back home and sing the same songs or if I could preach like the evangelist Steve Hill or if we had the same kind of altar call. Well, those those are the outward things. That doesn't guarantee the inner presence. So the principles are the same. We hunger, we thirst, we cry out to God, we humble ourselves. And there's a great prayer. I'd be remiss if I don't share this. An old evangelist, Gypsy Smith, was asked, how do you pray for revival? He said, well, I, I take a piece of chalk, I draw a circle on the ground, and then I stand in that circle and say, Lord, revive everything in this circle. So that's the one thing we can do, Lord, start the work with me. And, and as God's moved in my life over the years, it's been very humbling, humbling to realize you've left your first love, humbling to, to think that what you, what you considered maturity was just coldness and theological pride or shallowness. And then God begins to deal with you. You've got to lay down the pride and you've got to say, Lord, I want you more than I want the praise of people. I want you more than I want my own pride because I can't live without you. And, and really, you know, you're on the front lines of what's happening in the culture. You know what's happening in the world around us. That I honestly believe that without a real visitation in the church, bringing awakening to society, America as we know it is over. And in fact, if I can just say this one thing to everyone listening and watching, we have a brand new frontline newsletter meant to equip everyone to help you stand strong on the front lines. Go to the lineoffire.org. The line of fire.org. Sign up for it. It's free. We want to send it to you because I want to do whatever I can to help light a fresh fire in the hearts of God's people. 
I love that and so appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning to talk about Seizing the Moment. That is the uh, book from Dr. Michael Brown, host of the nationally syndicated daily talk show, The Line of Fire, and founder and president of Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. And if you want to find out more about what we've been talking about this hour, I encourage you to come to our Facebook page. You're going to find the links right there. Don and Steve in the morning on Facebook and encourage you to seize the moment to do that.